We are going to talk about worry today. And I say we because in case you didn't realize that Pastor Chad and the worship team just finished a sermon through music on worry and about who God is and about giving your life to him and allowing him to just take control no matter what. They just got through preaching through praise and now I hope to praise through preaching. So we're just going to keep it going. We're just going to keep going. So let me ask you guys, how many of you Deep question here, all right? How many of you in the past 24 hours, be honest, have been guilty of worrying? Anyone? And if you didn't raise your hand, it's probably because you were worried, so you just qualified yourself in that. How many of you would say, you know what? Um, I, I just wish my life would be so much better if I could figure out how to spend more time worrying and I could be better at worrying. Yeah, no one raises their hand on that when they're like, what? Because none of us enjoy worry in our life, all right? It drains us, it stresses us out. The only people that really enjoy worry are those people who just enjoy being miserable in general. All right, you know the kind we're talking about. Someone comes to mind, you know, not only is the glass half empty, but there's floaties in what's left. And they're like, no way, grumpy all the time. If you're like, I don't know anyone like that. Just a warning, it may be you. Just saying, just saying. Uh, Worry is a huge problem in our society. I mean, listen to some of these statistics. The Mayo Clinic claims that 80 to 85%, all right, this is the Mayo Clinic, very well-known, reputable hospital clinic, claims that 80 to 85% of their total caseload is due directly to worry and anxiety. 80 to 85%. Another leading physician stated that 70% of all medical patients could cure themselves if they only got rid of worries and fear, 70%. I mean, we all know medical science has tied worry to heart trouble, blood pressure problems, ulcers, thyroid malfunctions, migraine headaches, and just a, a laundry list of stomach disorders, all to worry. Man, worry drains us and it just doesn't attack us physically. It attacks us emotionally and spiritually and relationally. But it's, it's rampant in our world. I mean, our society today just looks at worry as a perfectly natural response to to what's going on around them. I mean, we live in such a high-stress society. I mean, I think about all the stresses that we go through on a daily basis. Uh, No longer do we have the same job security that we used to have. This idea of working for a company and spending an entire lifetime there in a career just, man, it's, it's been replaced by fear of what companies going to buy the plant next and and what are they going to do and where are they going to ship jobs off to and where's the funding going to come from and no longer any job security you know there's this there's this pressure to perform at at work and on the job to be more efficient to do it quicker to get more done In, in school for students to get better grades to advance quicker to get the scholarships to grow up even faster and there's financial stress Man, we live in just crazy economic times and it feels like every time you're like, all right, we got things together, we're starting to make some headway financially, man, the car breaks down. Or you've got that unexpected illness and you've got doctor's bills or that unplanned emergency trip you've got to take. You know, as students, I've talked to college students who all of a sudden they they forget to fill out one piece of paperwork or they don't get something turned in and now that financial aid or that student loan is gone. And now they're like, Man, now there's this uncertainty with school and what I'm going to be able to do. I mean, you look at the stock market and how it goes up and down. And, and some of you who've invested, you're seeing your retirement go up and down and get further and further and further away. Huge stress in our lives. Relationally, I, I'm going to give you, just here for a second, I want to give you the truth about worry. 
You see, worry is so bound up in our feelings and our emotions that a lot of times we can't see the truth about what is really going on. You see, I've said it before, and you've just got to understand that although feelings and emotions were given unto us by God, and although they're a part of who we are as human beings, if we allow them to control us, we will become a prisoner every time. Understand that. If we allow feelings and emotions to control us, we will become a prisoner every time. Because they're based on our circumstances. They're based on what's happening around us, not on the truth. And that's that's what worry is based on. Because we can't even control what's going on half the time. Most of the things we worry about will never come true. Another study, Dr. Walter Cavaray has done studies on worry, all right? He's the psychologist, the sociologist. This is what he discovered. 40% of our worries just flat out never happen. Just under half. 40% never happen. Never never come to fruition, all right? 30% of our worries concern the past. Things that cannot be changed, things that we can't have a mulligan, we can't have a redo, they're in the past. Right there, 70% of all worry, untouchable. We can't do anything about it, but we still worry about it. We still let us drag us down, make us sick. Man, 12% of our worries, speaking of getting sick, are needless worries about your health. You know, when you sneeze and all of a sudden you're worried you may have swine flu, it's coming. All right, needless worries, all right? Needless worries, all right? Not true concerns over health. Get that, 12%. 10% of our worries are insignificant or petty concerns. All right, this is the stack of worries that falls into, does this dress make my butt look big? That's the kind of worries, the ones that we're like, why are you even worrying about it? Yeah, petty and just insignificant, all right? Only 8%. 8%, 8 out of 100 Less than one out of 10 of our worries are legitimate concerns. 8%. This is not a Christian. This is just some doctor who did a study. And not only is it based on feelings and emotions and and so often not even based on truth, it, it, it has this circular reasoning process to it. I mean, worry is like the little hamster running on the wheel and he just goes and goes and goes and gets nowhere. I mean, think back to when you were a student, all right? Whether it was college or high school. I know that's further back for some of you than others. But just think about that for a second. Think about that, that time that you had that big test and you forgot to study. And the night before, you're sitting there and you're like, oh my goodness, I've got this test. Oh no, oh no, I've got to pass this test. And then your mind goes to, if I don't pass this test, I could fail the class. And if I fail the class, I get kicked out of school. And if I get kicked out of school, then... I'll never go to college. And if I never go to college, I'll never get a job. And if I never get a job, I'll never get a house. And if I never get a house, I'll never get married. My life is over. I mean, this circular reason. And the problem is, you get through all that, and you have gained absolutely nothing. You have gotten no closer to solving the problem. I take that back. You have gained a little something. You now have a migraine headache and a stomach ache. That's all you've gained. It has this circular reasoning. Worry never gets you anywhere. Man. Jesus told his disciples this about worry. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 27, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to these giant crowds, and he's summing up his entire ministry in this sermon. And he says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. He says, here here it is. This is why you shouldn't worry. You shouldn't worry whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food? Your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. 
aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Think about it. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Can we in all of our human wisdom really solve anything? Man, worry is worthless because we can't, we can't change the past. We can't control the future. Listen, worry is assuming responsibility that God never intended for you to have. Listen to that. Worry is assuming responsibility that God never intended for you to have. You see, our security, who we are, our hope, our peace, our joy, rests in God's ability and God's power, not our own. And when we worry, it's saying, ooh, God, I got this. Don't need you this time. You're not big enough. You don't understand. You're not good. Eh. We're assuming responsibility. God says, "Uh uh-uh, hold on a second. You're not supposed to be doing that. And that's why it makes you so miserable because you're operating out of the way I created you to operate. He says, listen, you have to believe. He says, God says, you have to believe that I am who I said I am and that I will do what I said I will do. You have to trust me. You have to have faith in me. So here's the big question. How do we overcome worry? I mean, we know what it does to us. We know how it just drains us in every sense of our lives. But how do we win over worry? How do we defeat worry? How do we bust worry in our lives? Paul gives us the answer in Philippians. Now, if there was anyone who had a reason, a legitimate reason to worry, it would have been Paul. As Paul writes this to Philippians, he's sitting in prison. Never a good place to be. But not only is he sitting in prison, he's awaiting his trial. And at his trial, it would be determined whether he was set free or whether he was executed. Understand that there was great uncertainty around his life. Things were just beginning to crumble. Not only that, but as he sat in jail, he had just received word that a very close friend was sick and ill to the point of death. And so now he's got a loved one who may die at any time. His own life is hanging in the balance. Then he hears about the churches he's been planting. And he hears that they are just torn up with disunity and false teaching. And he's like, ah, oh. I mean, everything he's worked for now, his personal life begins to crumble. His professional life is beginning to crumble. Everything's just going down the tubes. And on top of it all, there are a lot of people who just flat out didn't like Paul who were talking a lot of trash and a lot of smack about Paul and saying, man, this guy's crazy. He's a kook. They wanted him dead. Paul had a reason to worry. He had a reason to fear. He had a reason to get dragged down, but he didn't. Notice what he says in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, if you want to turn there, that's where we're going to be hanging out. That's where we're going to be looking at. That's where this whole, this whole theory for busting worry comes from, the truth about what we need to do. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, he says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry. That word for worry in the Greek comes from a word that means to be torn apart. That means to be pulled in two directions. You see, when we worry, our hopes pull us one way and our fears of what may happen pull us the other way and we're stretched apart. It's interesting, the English word that we get worry from literally means to strangle I mean, think about how worry just just strangles us. Man, how it cuts off 
man, it, it cuts us off from rational thinking. We don't think clearly when we're full of worry. It causes us to become unresponsive and, and we just get so within ourselves that we don't know what's going on. It just makes us sick physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's crazy what it does. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, I love absolutes. When I'm reading through scripture and I see an absolute, I circle it because they may be difficult to live out in our lives, but they're easy to understand because they're black and white. No ifs, ands, or buts. This is how it is. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Nothing. Don't worry about any of it. Now understand, this is not a nice, calm, just pat on the back. I love you. You got to stop worrying. No, 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 no. This is more like, remember back when you got in trouble, and I'm talking big trouble, like parents used all three names trouble. Yeah, that's, that's, what the, that's the tone that Paul is using here. In fact, if you look at it, he's saying, listen, you need to stop worrying. Don't ever worry again about one single thing. He says, no more. Cut it out. You're done with the worrying. Don't ever do that again. But then he goes on and he gives us the first step, the first key to defeating worry. The first key, he says, instead, pray. Instead, pray. That's the first step to defeating the busting worry is to pray. Man, he takes and he says, here's the negative worry. And he replaces it. He says, don't worry anymore. Instead, spend your time praying. I mean, just think about how our lives would change as Christians if we replaced worry in our life with prayer. And we just swapped them. I mean, you want to talk about giving a boost to our prayer life. Man, our prayer life would become alive. And we'd spend so much more time praying. And man, worries, man, they just begin to fade away. We begin, man, what was I worrying about? We just, we just, it would begin to go away. Man, I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about the same sort of attitude, the same sort of replacing and getting rid of these thoughts. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, he says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. He says, We demolish. We tear down completely. We destroy everything that goes against the truth of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. Understand, that's exactly what worry does. It goes against the truth of who God is, of what he wants to do in your life because you're taking control. And Paul says, we gotta demolish it. We gotta destroy it. We gotta tear it down. We gotta get rid of it completely. And he goes on, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's what we talked about earlier, the idea that we cannot let our feelings and our emotions control us because they will imprison us. Instead, we need to take them captive and replace them with thoughts of Christ and what he can do. Uh, That's why Paul in verse 8 there in Philippians says, Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. He's like, yeah, one more thing on this whole worry thing. Just get this. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true. Not what makes you feel good, not what makes you happy. Fix your thoughts on what is true. The truth about who I am and what I want to do in your life. Take those thoughts captive and replace those thoughts of worry and fear and anxiety with the truth. Man, he goes on, 
what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent, that are worthy of praise. Just take those thoughts captive. And when that worry starts to creep into your mind, man, take it captive and say, no way. I'm not going to let you control me. Because what happens is when you do this, it begins to shift your thought process. It begins to shift your focus. It begins to shift your perspective away from the things of the world and to God. You see, prayer has two very important parts, all right? And the prayer Paul talks about, he highlights these two parts, all right? The first step in in prayer that defeats worries, the first step is adoration. All right, when we walk in and we pray to God, it should just be with this attitude of, of worship and reverence and adoration. Man, we need to learn to see the greatness and majesty of God. We need to learn to, to realize that God is big enough to solve the worst of our problems. When we start to worry, our first action should not be how to solve the problem or who we're going to talk to or who we got to... It should just be to turn to God and in the midst of the situation say, God, I know who you are and I know what you can do in my life. You see, too often we just rush into God and we just start dumping all our problems and everything that's going on and and all of our worries and concerns at his feet. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? And we need to shift and just come before him and just fall on our face and praise him for everything he has done in our life and and everything he can do. And that's why Isaiah, when he found himself before the presence of God, he writes that he fell on his face. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He realized his position before God, he just fell on his face in worship and adoration. That's why when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, pray like this, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Blessed is your name. Glorious is your name. The first thing we do when we come into the presence of God is just realize who he is. Man, we've got to understand the extent of God's power. We've got to understand the depths of his love. Because when we do, our problems just don't seem so big anymore. They don't seem so overwhelming and overbearing because our God is greater. And then Karl Barth, a pastor and theologian and just an amazing thinker, said this. He said, to begin by praising God for the fact that in this situation as it is, he is so mightily God. Such a beginning is the end of anxiety. He says, just to come before God and realize that he is God in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of everything that's going on, that he is God he says, that's the beginning of the end for worry. He says, worry's done when you do that. It cannot stand in the presence of God. Man, I'm reminded of an old hymn as, as I was sitting here writing this sermon, and it came back, you know, maybe some of you sang it growing up. It was entitled, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Man, and I remember the chorus that said, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim." in the light of his glory and grace. Man, that's what happens when we come to God, when we take the time to slow down and just see who he is, see the truth about our God and see the truth of our situation through his eyes. All of a sudden, man, our fear, our worry, everything that's going on in the circumstances of the world around us, 
they begin to fade away in the light of God's glory and his love and his grace and his majesty. And when we come to that point where we're truly seeing God for who he is and we're truly seeing the situation through his eyes, then we can go into the second step of prayer. The second step is supplication. It's, it's asking God for our needs. You see, James explains why we have to do things in this order. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. He's like, duh, come on here. You don't have what you, what you want because you don't ask. But even when you do ask, you still don't get it because you're asking for the wrong things. He says, too often you come to God and you pour out your laundry list, but you haven't taken time to praise him and you're not seeing things through his eyes. You're just, you're caught up in your emotions and your feelings again. And you don't have a clue what you're supposed to be asking for. You know, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, instead of praying, God, would you please supernaturally turn all of the stoplights between here and the store green so that I can just get to the store on time and then get my kids to school on time and then get my kids to down the list. Instead, you're at that stoplight and you think, God, thank you so much for my family that's here with me. Thank you for just for this extra time together with them in the midst of all this busyness. Calm my anxious heart. You see, you begin to change your perspective. Instead of praying, God, would you please do something about my boss? I mean, fire from heaven would be great at this point. He's so negative and he's always trashing and nothing ever was ever good enough for him. God, please just take care of this. You begin to shift and you begin to say, God, I pray that you would use me to show him your love and your grace. That he would see the hope that I have in my life that doesn't come from circumstances or wealth or a career. That you would use me to speak into his life. Instead of praying, God, would you just change my spouse? Would you just help them get it? Would they just listen to me and understand what I'm trying to say? You begin to ask God for patience and for love. Love that puts them ahead of you, their desires ahead of your own. Man, it changes your perspective. It changes what you pray for when you see the situation through God's eyes. Understand, I'm not trying to say God isn't interested in all the details of our life. Please don't take that away because he is. That's why Paul says, tell God what you need. Let him know what's going on. It's why Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? It's a rhetorical question because of course you are. You're so much more valuable to God. He cares deeply about what's going on in your life. And he wants you to ask for things, but he wants you to ask for the right things. He wants you to see things his way. He wants you to ask for what he would ask for. He wants you to care about what he cares about. Way too often, we just, we care about the wrong stuff. God told Isaiah this in Isaiah chapter 55, verse eight. He says, my thoughts, Isaiah, they are nothing like your thoughts. My ways, they're far beyond anything you could ever imagine. We have to learn to see things as much as possible through God's eyes because we, we, can, we can't even begin to comprehend what he wants to do or what he's going to do because he's so far beyond us. We have to have faith and trust him, which is what makes the next step in defeating worry so important. The next step in defeating worry is to be thankful. To be thankful 
pastor was telling me about a story, and I'll tell you up front, this story is not about me and my daughter, although it totally could be. I think that's why I struck home. If you know Tegan, this could totally be us. But uh, so my pastor friend, he was making a house call. He was visiting an elderly couple, and his little four-year-old daughter wanted to go with him. And she gave him the big puppy dog eyes. He's like, no, no, no. And she's like, please, daddy. You know, and so he's like, all right, you can come with me. Visiting this elderly couple that had been shut in and, and they get to the house, they walk in and like every great grandpa, this elderly gentleman, he's got the candy dish right beside his chair. All right, and so he graciously offers the little girl a handful of M&Ms, you know, four-year-old girl, all M&Ms all at once. And as she's chewing there, her dad looks down and he's like, what do you say? you know, expecting her to be gracious and thankful. And, and in her sweetest tone with her big puppy dog eyes, she looks up at this elderly gentleman and goes, God anymore? <laughs> That's what we do with God. I mean, let's be honest. Well, we have this worry and we're like, all right, I'm going to do it right this time. And, and we, we go to God in prayer and we just worship him and we turn it over to him. And we begin to see it through God's eyes. And then he works and it's awesome. It's amazing. We're like, yes. And then we're like, God, can I have some more? But we never take time to thank him. Understand, there's nothing wrong with wanting more of God and more of his blessings. But we need to take time to be thankful. We need to take time to recognize what God has done. Man, I walk out of here after every service and, and, and every youth service that we have. And I get in the car and the first thing I do is, thank you, God. Man, thank you for what you're doing. Because without thanksgiving, prayer just becomes this laundry list of what's going on. And this laundry list of requests and complaints and all the bad things that are happening in our lives. David writes in the Psalms, and in Psalm 106, verse 1, he, he coins a phrase that really characterizes much of the Old Testament. It's a phrase you'll actually see reflected all through the Old Testament and all through the nation of Israel. He says, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. And he says, and here's why. For he is good. His faithful love is endures forever. Another absolute forever. His faithful love, his love that is there no matter what, in every situation, in every circumstance, regardless of how bad you have messed up, God says, my love is there. Man, I, I wrote down the lyrics to a song, and if I didn't know any better, I would have said Pastor Chad was checking out my notes, but I know he didn't even have my notes. But that, that song we sang, your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Man, that is the love of the God we serve. And we need to just learn to thank him for it in every circumstance and in every situation. So many of the biblical characters that, that we look to as heroes, they were defined by their ability to thank God and to praise him and to worship him in the midst of difficult circumstances. Think about Job. He lost his family. He lost his career. He lost his home. He lost his health. And he still chose to worship God. Man, think about Joseph. Sold into slavery by his own brothers. Later falsely imprisoned for a crime he did not commit. And in that dungeon, he still knew God had a plan. And he still thanked him for it and praised him and worshiped him. Man, I could go down the list. David and Daniel and Paul. Great biblical heroes who just, man, they were human just like us. Man, I tell you, they had the temptation to worry just like us. 
but they took those thoughts captive. They said, no, we will not be owned by our feelings and emotions. And they chose to thank God and to praise God in the midst of terrible situations. And I have a prayer that I pray so often. And I say, thank you, God, for everything you've done. Thank you, God, for everything you're doing. And thank you, God, for everything you're going to do. Because I understand that I can't change the past. And and my past, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything was God preparing me. Was God getting me ready? Was him developing me and using me? And I understand that right now I may not understand the situations that I'm in. And they may not make any sense. And I may not see it and I may not get it. But God is in control no matter what. And I understand that someday far into the future that all this that I'm going through, God is going to use for good. And he is using it to develop me so that I can minister and that I can serve. And I thank him for all of it. Because it's part of him developing me and making me who he has called me to be. Man, I challenge you. The next, next time you just begin to worry and fret, sit down and just begin to write a list of things you're thankful for. Write it out to God. I guarantee you that even in the midst of the darkest circumstances, that list is going to be way longer than you would expect. So when worry attacks, we pray. When worry attacks, we're thankful. And when worry attacks, number three, the third step, we have to rest. Now, I know that sounds kind of odd. Rest? What? You see, the first, the first two keys that we talked about, they're reactionary. Worry attacks, and so that's what we do. We pray, we make sure we go to God and worship and we ask him for what we need and then we're thankful when he provides. This step is more preventative. It's the result of what happens when you do those things and it keeps you from worrying in the future. All right, Paul writes, he goes, then after you surrender everything to God, after you show him thankfulness, he goes, then you will experience God's peace, God's rest, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He says this peace, this rest that God is going to give you, it will guard your heart and your mind against worry. Understand, God's original design for us as human beings included a day of rest. It was part of the way he designed us to operate and the part of the way he designed for things to work. And our society has gotten so far away from that. Our bodies, our earthly bodies need rest. And when our physical tank is low, man, guess what? It begins to drain from our spiritual tank. And it begins to drain from our emotional tank. And it begins to drain from our relational tank. And all of a sudden, we're running on empty. And when you're empty, man, that's when you've got a big bullseye. And that's when you're most susceptible to Satan's attacks. And that's when he's going to come after you with everything he has. You see, when you surrender, when you just lay it down at God's feet and you realize who he is and what he wants to do, there is this confidence that comes. There is this joy, this peace, this rest that defies human description. I mean, understand that according to world standards, we as Christians should be just as stressed out as everyone else. But somehow we're not. Insurance company did a study. These scientific studies just blow my mind. It makes me laugh because I'm like, yeah, God intended it this way. They did this study and they discovered that people who go to church once a week live on average five to seven years longer than those who don't. It's amazing. 
Yet another way church can save your life. <laughs> Telling you. Literally. I mean, think about it. All our planning, all our, our logic and our human reasoning and our intelligence. Man, it can't beat worry. It, it can't change the past. It can't bring us this peace, this rest of knowing that God's in control. Of knowing that he's got this. I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. Man, amazing words here. These Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Man, in every service, I know there are people sitting here who have heavy burdens. Who are struggling under the load that this world and themselves have put upon them. Here's what Jesus says. Come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. There it is again. And you will find rest for your souls. Just give it to me. Just give it to me and you will find rest. Jesus says, give me your pain. Give me your hurt. Give me your worry, your fear, your anxiety. Give me your anger and your doubt and your bitterness. Just give it to me. Give me all your junk. Just lay your mess at my feet. And I will take it. And I will give you peace and rest. I will give you joy and hope. I will give you protection beyond anything you could ever provide for yourself. But he says, you have to lay down your junk first. He goes, I don't care. It doesn't have to be pretty. I know it's not going to be pretty. But you have to take that burden. You have to put it down at my feet. And I'm going to give you something so much better. Listen, those of you who have experienced that peace, you know it. You get it. And you're in your mind. You're going back to that time. And and I wish I could put it into words for those of you who have never experienced. I mean, but it's this peace that takes a Christian who has just lost a loved one or has a loved one who is on their deathbed and brings them great peace that God is in control and brings them joy that a loved one is going to be with Christ. And although there is a sadness at this loss, there is not fear, there is not worry. And they maintain this this joy despite the circumstances. It's how a Christian who's threatened with the loss of their job. They don't know next week if they're even still going to be employed. That, that they can go to work with a smile on their face and a confidence knowing that whatever happens, God will provide. That God is watching over, that he cares about them deeply. Man, it's, it's this confidence, this boldness. That a parent who who has a child who's walked away and who is far away from God, that they they can pray for that child and they can have a peace and a security of knowing God's hand is on that child. And wherever that child may be and whatever they may be doing, God is in control. And they have faith that God is working in that child's life to bring them back to Him. Man, it's it's the peace and the faith and the confidence that an addict who has turned their life over to Christ can stand up and say, I am no longer an addict. That past is no longer me. I've given my message to Christ and he has made me a new person. And I don't have to worry about that anymore. Let me tell you, that's the peace. That's that's, that's just the joy that God wants to give us. 
But he says, you got to let go first. And I know, I get it all the time. Some of you are sitting out there, Justin, you just don't understand. You just don't get the, the darkness, the deepness of my pain. And listen, I will stand up here and I will fully admit that no, I may not. But here's what I know. I know that God does. I know that God knows the depth of your mess. That he knows the junk that you're carrying. That he knows your burden. And he looks at you and he loves you anyway. That he died for you anyway. And he says, lay it down. Whatever it is, just put it down right here at the foot of the cross. And let me give you something so much better. Let me give you my peace and my joy. So here's what it all comes down to, guys. What do you need to give to God? What is it in your life that brings worry and fear and pulls you away and distracts you and strangles you? What is it you just need to give to Him? Is it finances? Is your family, are you going through a difficult time and you just don't know where finances are going to come from? God says, give the burden to me. Maybe it's health. Maybe you or a close loved one is struggling with your health and you just, you don't know what the future holds. Or you do know what the future holds and it's not good. God says, give the fear, give the worry, the pain, lay it at my feet. Is it relationships? Is it future plans you have for yourself or your kids? Is it past failures that you worry about? the junk back there that you're like, oh, if they only knew. God says, give it to me. Is it the current struggles, the current situations that you find yourself in right now? God says, give it to me. God says, it's time to let go. You don't have to carry that anymore.